welcome to episode 10 of Adult Music, the podcast with music for the mature mind. It's, it's our 10th episode. It's number 10. We made it. We didn't think we'd make it this far. Now here we are. Yeah. How about that? Well, it's been an interesting week for music it and certainly has. I want to say something about this week. Um, last week, if you remember, on our... Um, on our episode nine, we talked about two Proust Salon recordings, and one of them was by uh, Theotime Langlois de Svarta and uh, with uh, Tanguy de Villiencourt on the piano. And I thought it was eh, okay. I thought they kind of, I thought um, the whole setup was really great. They were playing amazing instruments. It was an excellent program, but I felt like the uh, execution of those works was leaving a little to be desired. Well, guess what? Gramophone's um, list of uh, recordings of the month came out. They always pick 10 recordings. Gramophone is a British um, music magazine. And they picked that album, Dietien Langlois de Suarte and uh, Tangui de Willian Cor, as their album of the month. Wow. Now, I want to say something about this. First of all, I thought that the Stephen Esserlis disc was far better than this one, and it wasn't even on their list. And I want to say, the the, this, the album was good. It was a good program. It was enjoyable. I just felt like it was a little, um, you know, kind of didn't live up to expectations. But I, it wasn't recording of the month. Sorry. I'm, I'm not buying that. Mm. I don't know why they chose that. Anyway, that's I got that off my chest. There it is. Maybe they thought Deswant uh, is like, a marketable face to millennials or something like that. I, th- I think, like me, they, they freaked out about the fact that there was a Stradivarius and an er- Erard piano uh, being yeah. played on that, that album, and uh, they kind of said it fell over Could themselves, be. you know, trying to recommend it. Yeah. But I don't know. I recommended the Acerlis and uh, um duo as the better performance. It was so, and I stand by that. A more polished performance. Yeah. I like the energy of those uh, other guys, uh, Deswate. He's uh, well. I like them in general, but I just I don't know. I just felt yeah. like they kind of they're generally both. I think both of them are generally more baroque um, uh, musicians, and I, I think in this on that one they kind of were a little, uh, you know. Well, they, obviously they studied this music in school too, but I just thought they were a little out of their um, comfort zone mm. in that. It was okay. It was good. I think it could have used a little more. Eh, I don't want to get into it again. We listened to last week's episode. <laughs> You'll know what I thought. Yeah. There you go. Opinions are opinions. But this week we've got another load of interesting music to get through here. Uh, we I think do. there's some real gems in this week. But before we get to that, uh, just a few things I need to say. I want to remind our listeners... That in the episode description, you'll find links to all the music we'll discuss tonight. Uh, Links to Spotify and Apple Music, so you can stream and listen to everything we talk about. At the top of the list is a link to the full episode playlist, all the music in one place, on Deezer. uh, Where you can also follow us at username Adult Music Podcast. And if you can't see that list on your app or wherever you're listening, please check out 
our podcast on our host, Podbeam. And if you enjoy the podcast, please follow or subscribe on whatever app or platform you listen to us on. And if you give us a ranking or write a review, it will help us get listed in the browsing category recommendations, which will help us grow our audience. And we'd really appreciate that. If you'd like to contact us directly with any comments or questions, our email address is adultmusicpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. And finally, I'd like to give special thanks to Feedspot, who kindly listed us in their top 20 classical music podcast list and in their top 25 jazz podcast list. So the links to those lists are in the episode description notes at the top as well. So please check those out for more great music podcasts selected by Feedspot. You know, one, one more thank you, by the way. A listener um, wrote in and uh let us know. Now, this is way back. I don't remember which episode this was. We had reviewed a John Patitucci, Vinnie Colaiuta, oh, and Bill right, yeah. Cunliffe uh, album, and uh, we mentioned that it wasn't available on CD. And a listener wrote in and told us that it was and told us how to get it. And I ordered it. And I um, have it. And I'm very happy. So thank you, listener, for the uh, yeah. information. We really appreciate it. Wasn't it? It was at Bandcamp. Yeah. Well, Bandcamp uh, distributed. I don't the know who CD, the yeah. label was. And the was, comment yeah. came through YouTube, so... Yeah, so thank you very much for that. Uh, please keep us informed if we, uh, especially if we say something like that there's a CD not available when it is, because I definitely want it. <laughs> We're two guys who know a little bit about a lot of music, but there's a yeah. lot of people who know a lot more about <laughs> lots of music than we do. So um, well, there are some people who know a lot about a little music too. And that's true. We're kind of you know we're just kind of wide ranging, I guess. Yeah. We're just fanatics. We're 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 basically music junkies. What they used to say. You know? I guess so. It's a good time I don't know. To be a Not a bad way junkie. to spend your life, though. I got to tell you, there are, there are better, all. there are worse ways, certainly. Yeah. All right. It makes me so happy let's every dig day. In what do we have yeah. at the top of the list tonight? Okay, so we're going for the. Uh, oh, so we're going into the list. Oh, let's, by the way, by the way, yeah. before we get into this, um, we we've been obsessing about that uh, Gershwin Porgy and Bess recording for a long, long time. Oh, Did you finally the, get to hear this? You know. I did listen. I haven't listened to the whole thing. I've listened to part of it, and yeah. it's generally definitely okay. <laughs> yeah, I thought okay <laughs> yeah. too. Okay. Now, now the thing is, this is a great opera. First of all, it's got uh, oh, yeah. so many great tunes in it, and it's it's really just probably the best American opera ever. Okay. Um, anyway, it won the Grammy Award, uh, and it was uh, released by the Metropolitan Opera on their label and we couldn't get it via streaming so I, I just had to hear it because a new recording of the uh, yeah, of right that here. opera is they're kind of rare okay and when I heard this it was um, eh, it was it was good it, it was a more theatrical performance than a musical one I thought I thought they were going more for the uh, the theater uh, so some of the great the really great tunes were kind of they were good but it wasn't anything I'm going to be like you know kind of thinking about all the time I still prefer the Simon Rattle recording from about 20 years ago now boy that was a, which was a very musical performance probably the best on record so look for that yeah I got uh, the on, same feeling I felt like yeah. I should be watching this rather than just exactly. listening to it so yeah and the photos in the booklet just make it even more enticing yeah. another thing I like about what I saw in the booklet was, um, yeah, the staging looks good. It looks like it takes place in its time period. One of the, yeah. what I feel is annoying things about modern opera is that um, like they'll take an opera like The Marriage of Figaro by Mozart, you know, 18th century. So you, you expect 
men in like frock coats and like these ruffled shirts and women in these dresses and stuff. But they'll set them in a, like a 20th century during a certain period and it'll be like, hey, you see how this relates to that? And I'm like, no, I really don't. I really would prefer to see these operas in their original milieu. Okay. Yeah. You can, I mean, you can change the staging a bit. You can kind of make the costumes more interesting. But th- there's this whole kind of, I hope it's a fad for this sort of um, updating, updating old operas. And I don't think they need updating. I really like uh, seeing them in their period. All right. I don't know. It's maybe it's the historial, the historian in me that kind of likes that. Okay, I'm off my soapbox now. Let's get to the. All music. right, get off that soapbox and get <laughs> yes, down here into go. this music list we've got here. Okay, so here's what we got. Um, first, I, I wanted to. Uh, I got another double header this week. Okay, you did it again. Yeah, I used to uh, go to double headers as a kid, and I feel like I want to bring them back musically anyway. Because if I can't Yankees bring them back games? in baseball. We used to go to Mets games. Mets games, oh, okay. Yeah, and it would be the banner day. It was a doubleheader, and they would always lose both games. It I was really it, disappointing. It you, get, you didn't get to see them lose once. You got to see them lose twice. It wasn't Phil Rizzuto then. Yeah. Holy cow. Yeah, no. but we used to hear him on TV. Yeah. I remember the old Yankees with, you know, Bobby Mercer. Remember him? He was like the first oh, yeah. Yankee I remember from when I was a kid. That was in the early 1970s. Anyway, sorry, international audience, sorry. <laughs> for yes. bringing back these we American memories. New Yorkisms, yeah, New Yorkisms especially. Okay, so the uh, I, I chose something for the guitar heads uh, out there, and uh, the first of these two guitar albums is an album of music by Santiago de Murcia, or maybe it'd be pronounced Murcia because he's Spanish, but I don't know what they would have said back in the day, you know. Uh, and uh, Entre Dos Almas, it's called. And the uh, guitarist is Stefano Majorana on Baroque guitar. Released on the Arcana label, which specializes... They're, they're part of a, a a music group called Out There. And Out There runs the Alpha label and all these other... A few really fantastic labels like Alpha. And this is one of them. And they specialize in... Um, uh, they say Italian music, but they don't necessarily always do... Italian music. This this disc is Spanish music played by, I'm guessing, an Italian guitarist, Majorana. Sounds like an Italian name to me. Okay, now, Santiago de Murcia. Some, his music, there was a, an album 20 years ago or something by an ensemble, I think. Uh, I don't remember the name of it. I should really... Um, I should really write these things down <laughs> when I see them. But I was introduced to his music by this recording that came out maybe a good 20 oh yeah it must be 20 years ago um called codex number four and it was by ensemble capsberger on the naive label it's still available as a download at least i don't see that it's available as a cd anymore it might be anyway it featured morcia's music it was you know baroque spanish music and it has a lot of percussion on it and it's just fantastic uh i really loved this and then uh, there was more Murcia music on an album that uh, both Russ and I heard um, called um, Concerto Zapico oh, yeah. by Forma Antigua. There were three brothers who uh, played uh, Baroque instruments, and it was just fantastic. Uh, really exciting music, so I was really thrilled to hear this. And um, let's see. Let's start with the playing. Stefano Majorana's program. Uh, this guy's a fantastic player. I really, uh, I really liked his... Um, his um, interpretations. There was a lot of energy to it. De Murcia's music has a lot of, you know, rhythmic drive to it, and it's really just joyful, happy, 
music and highly rhythmic too. Um, so it's kind of fun and exciting to listen to. He's um, broken up his program with some works by uh, Arcangelo Corelli, uh, Baroque era, you know, uh, player. These are um, broke your composer. Sorry, these are um, sonatas that I guess were originally for multiple instruments, but that he's. Um, well, I, I looked at his album. He's notes, playing here, and yeah, I, these are written by uh, Majorana himself, and apparently, oh, he did what, he re, did he uh, what? Well, he didn't well, write them. He um, no. So the idea uh, that he's presenting is uh, so uh, Di Morcia. Uh, lived yeah. from 1673 to 1739. Mm. And so Corelli is uh, slightly older, uh, 1653 to 1713. And uh, what he uh, writes is that uh, these, uh, this music represents the Italian influence in Spanish music of the time. So uh, on this recording, there are several Corelli pieces, but the Sonata in C major, which is uh, Corelli's Opus 5, was actually, the transcription is by Di Murcia. So, oh, I didn't realize that. Yeah, okay. I, I didn't. Hmm. I wouldn't have known that, and if I hadn't looked at the notes, but well, um, I knew they were transcriptions. I just figured yeah. that Majorana had done them. Okay, but uh, there was hmm. a great interest, and then uh, Di Marcia himself was interested in Corelli's music, and so he had actually transcribed these pieces for guitar, uh, yeah. as he and, was as a, was everyone at the time. Yeah, right? and he was very he was a guitar teacher and performer who apparently uh, died in poverty, unfortunately. Uh, at the did, yeah. Yes. Um, mm. Yeah. Very but yeah, the, play, anyway, this... the playing is fabulous on here. Yeah, um, no fault for the playing. But and not only that, the sound of the... He's playing a Baroque guitar, which is sort of yeah. a slimmer version of a of a modern guitar. Now, this has um 10 strings, like five strings that are doubled. And um, he's able to get these fantastically fast runs off it. And just, right. it sounds like there's probably a great sound quality to this instrument that he's yeah. getting you but can imagine it but it you could imagine it but what happens well i my my what i wrote my notes say it sounds like it was recorded under a blanket or something I mean, yeah i i um, actually said in a you know in a, a closet curtain. yeah yeah closet. there's no this is a horrible recording um yeah. sound wise um mm. there's no and you don't get noticeably the, bad it's not something that only an expert's gonna no, no. hear okay it, it, and it's funny yeah because um this is i believe this is available as a high-res recording which makes me chuckle <laughs> oh because God. the next recording we're going to talk about sounds fabulous and it's not it's uh only standard res because it was recorded probably somewhere under not optimal conditions but um yeah, yeah with this fine set of music and the great playing and the yeah. interesting instruments it's a shame that the the overtones and especially the high register is really muffled and i wonder yeah, what went maybe on maybe veiled would be a better veiled, word it's kind yeah. of sounds like it's all there but it's behind something you know there's yeah. some kind of something between the microphone and the instrument that's kind of you know yeah. blocking the it's sound or something i don't know what's going on and it is a real shame this is a fantastic performance um hopefully we'll hear more from uh, Majorana in the future yeah and nice um, program. i have a few other arcana label uh albums and to be honest none of them none of them are quite this bad sounding but uh they, the sound quality is never really great and i've got another one on the way there's a new uh one called uh Forkeray unchained mm. <laughs> the unfortunate title <laughs> Fouqueray yeah. unchained for you know Antoine Fouqueray was a Baroque era, French Baroque era composer I'm really interested in hearing that 
but I'm a little nervous now about what the sound quality is going to be like. We'll find out. Uh, we won't review it if we don't like it, though, yeah. this time. Anyway, that's the first uh, album of the double header. Um, worth hearing. Well, I mean, we'll post it. You can hear it for free. Uh, give it a listen. And uh, and I'm telling yeah. you, you're not going to like the sound. It's just don't not. Don't buy the high-res version. It's not good. Yeah, don't buy the high-res <laughs> version of this. It's just not going to be worth doing. But it's worth hearing for the performance. Yeah, so the if performance you can hear it for free, yeah. definitely hear it. This guy sounds like a great... Uh, a great player. Okay, now we have another solo guitar um, album, and this one's by. Uh, it's called Del Canto Gitano, or Gitano. I don't know how you'd say that in Maybe Spanish. It's anyway, it's Gitano. Yeah. Okay, yeah, he, yeah, Gitano. Okay, Del Canto Gitano, music of ancient Andalusia, and this is played by Ignacio Lusardi Monteverde, who was an Argentinian um, it, guitarist, Italian, who now lives Argentinian, in London. Right? He's an Italian Argentinian yeah. who lives in London. This is a great and, recording. Uh, yeah, if you uh, if you think that's enough, um, it, you know, being Italian Argentinian and living in London isn't confusing enough. He uh, he decided to do this um, music of ancient Andalusia, which um, has uh, so many influences. They're yeah. almost hard to pull apart, but pull them apart, he does. Um, well, this program is really fascinating. Yeah, he he mm. was inspired by traveling to the Middle East, he goes through Syria, and then in India. And this record, this record was actually made in India. Yeah, and so th you're gonna be in a flamenco raga trance by the end of this. I've listened to yeah, this. This like is three weird. Times. Flamenco raga and Middle Eastern modes. Yeah, yeah okay, modes, as well. He's got. Um, uh, Greek uh, fiddle, uh, violining, yeah. and uh, he's got a, a Hindustani tenor. He's got and, drone, Indian drone yeah, instruments. And there's a female there. vocalist on here. And he's got... Hey, uh, she's fantastic. Uh, she's Victoria great. Victoria Cooper, her name is. Okay. And flamenco and Baroque guitar. And yeah, uh, yeah the, it doesn't... It sounds like an odd combination, but it's really... Uh, it's really a beautiful mixture of sounds and it all really works yeah. well. Um, this is very interesting. It's it it's very adventurous. He took a chance with putting these elements together, but it it adheres really well together. And uh, I really like this recording. Yeah, I did too. Um, I liked all the uh, the the ear is constantly like um, you know interested because there are different combinations of sounds. Uh, the style changes. We hear flamenco right at the beginning in the in the ancient walls of. Jiran, okay, Rondania interlude, things mm -hmm. like that. Then we head to the Middle East. You know, like you said, there's a Greek fiddle. We have Indian sounding um, music, and we we also have a Pakistani singer. Hindustan, Hindustan, Hindustani. Yeah, sorry, I guess I shouldn't yeah. have said that. Okay, yeah, Hindustani singer. Uh, and then there's a uh, Victoria Cooper. I, I wonder if she's English or not. I don't really know, but yeah, um, it's hard to tell. She, has, she has this fantastic kind of like sweet sort of. Um, kind of soprano voice which isn't like uh she's not really projecting much she just really just sings yeah. and it's just a beautiful sweet sound that kind of is, is very soothing yeah. not only she, that this is a gr great sounding recording this recording uh, is sounds fabulous and yeah yet it's just in regular resolution and it was recorded somewhere in india yeah um, and the engineer was um the guitarist himself yeah he's apparently a, a music producer too they should have gotten him to do the other disc yeah, he too should go back and help great. out he should go back and help out uh help. Our yeah, friend Stefano, Stefano Majorano. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this sounds great. Um, it's very interesting. Um, and uh, yeah, the, the vocals, uh, 
yeah, she sings. What is that one? The Santa Maria Stureado Dia. Oh, beautiful. That's yeah. great. Yeah. yeah, and the the last one too, Claros y Frescos Rios, was really pretty as well. Yeah. Everything she sings, uh, Victoria Cooper sings on this. Um, I hope I'm saying her name right. It's C O U P E R. So I'm guessing like the French Cooper, Cooper. or something know, yeah. like that. And the um, the artwork for the album cover is really beautiful too. Yeah, uh, yeah. I like this too. It's got kind of a faded map of um, map, southern yeah. Spain, which would be Andalusia, the Straits of Gibraltar, and northern Africa. And in front of that, on a street, there's a woman in a flamenco dress doing a flamenco pose it's she's looking really cool um yeah it's it's a nice looking cover yeah. as well apparently he and, was um inspired by uh Paco de Lucia when he was nine years old to learn yeah. flamenco and uh so he studied this music and then in his adult life he went on journeys through the Middle East all the way to India and uh I think you know flamenco is a style that has sort of uh, branched into you know non-traditional things, mixing in jazz and other things, and he's taking this in very interesting directions here, uh, going yeah. eastward, finding these other sort of influences, and uh, right. the result is uh, really enjoyable. So anyone right. who likes guitar or likes uh, you know sort of uh, world music. So yeah, I would I would classify this. this more of as a world music album, you know, as yeah, a, than a classical one. It's got like a classical feeling to it, but it's mostly, yeah, world music. And that world music is along the Mediterranean. You know, just all those um, different types of people that live along that that um, sea, um, yeah. and the and the rich culture that they all live in. I guess. They're all different cultures, but they all kind of, you know, mixed together. It's just fascinating. And not only that, being someone who just loves modal music of all kinds, like, well, yeah. this entire disc is, this entire album is modal music, and it's just like, it it just really makes my ear uh, tingle with yeah. pleasure. I like this one. I'm going to buy it. Um, I just can't decide where I want to buy it yet because uh, mm. it's not available it, the cheapest place to get it is from Presto, where we often buy, and they're charging a lot more in Japan. Uh, mm. I'm just trying to find the best place and time. Uh, place this to get this it disc to, yeah. is available at a cheap price too. It's yeah, cheaper it's than reasonable. ordinary, so I think it's more yeah. of a. It's not quite bargain um, like price, but it's getting yeah. close. Yeah, it's around yeah. ten euros or something yeah. like that. Uh, highly, highly recommended. Give it a listen. I think you'll. Uh, you really enjoy it. It's like a little journey, yeah. you know, through the uh, through the great. Mediterranean lands. Yep. So if you're locked up in your house, this would be a nice, you know, big array of sunshine. <laughs> As you sail your your boat on the wine dark sea, you know, that would be, you know, I guess part of that happened, the Odyssey happened on the Mediterranean. I don't know. Okay. So there you go. Highly recommended. And that's my uh, guitar offering for the week. Okay. All right. Hey, I've actually got a classical one from me this yeah. week, too, which okay. doesn't happen too much. And it's classical, classical, because I learned something. Yeah. And uh, this is a recording, and it's, well, I guess this is a, uh, how can I say that the name has been made Germanic, but uh, it's the Ranitsky Orchestral Works Volume 1. Naxos and uh, the performances by the Czech Chamber Philharmonic Orchestra. Okay. Uh, no, Marek Stilek is the conductor. 
Okay, now first of all, before we go into this, uh, we need to um, be clear that uh, this guy is name is Paul Ranitsky, Paul Ranitsky, because he had a brother named Antonin Ranitsky, yeah. who was also a composer. Yeah. <laughs> so and this his is real Paul. name. This is the older brother. <laughs> his real name would have actually been Pavel Vraniki or Warniki yeah. or something in uh, Czech. In Czech, so right? He is a uh, uh, Moravian Austrian classical composer mm. who's a contemporary of uh, Mozart. And he's very highly respected by Mozart, Haydn, and Beethoven. Uh, and so he lived between 1756 and 1808. And, yeah. uh, but I had never listened to his uh, music. It sort of had passed me by. But apparently uh, he was the most important uh, symphonist in Vienna at the turn of the 18th century. Hmm. And uh, there's a bit of controversy, apparently. He's... Um, noted as being one of the three possible composers to have uh, written the Austrian National Anthem, which seems ah. to be uh, in uh, uh, st still a uh, mystery as to who the writer they, is. They claim Haydn wrote it, didn't they? Uh, I guess or, so. I guess there's yeah. you know, some possibilities. Um, and also, uh, yeah, so he, he was highly regarded in his day, but I had never listened to any of his works. And if you're a fan of Mozart and Haydn symphonies, I think you'll really enjoy this disc. Um, it's got two symphonies on it, as well as uh, we've got uh, a couple other uh, pieces here. Um, let's see. So the, the symphony in C, which is the first one on here, is... Uh, it's a very sort of uh, exuberant, uh, festive uh, composition. I guess this was written to mark the uh, the uh, ascension to the throne of Franz II in 1792. And we've also got the uh, symphony in B-flat major, which has got a, a kind of expanded orchestra and has a lot of interesting uh, tonal colors and is a bit broader in composition. And then we've got, uh, let's see, two uh, overture uh, examples recorded here, too, to give a little more example of his composition. But uh, if you're a fan of... Uh, classical era symphonies. I think you'd like this recording. I enjoyed it a lot. The orchestra plays this uh, very well. The recording is clear uh, and very energetic performance and really enjoyable, uh, you know, in that you, know, you usually know what you're going to get when you listen to uh, something, you know, from this uh, uh, time period. Uh, you're not going to get too many deviations from the form. So you're looking in, you know, sort of, uh, I don't know, Con different types of contrasts uh, that might be enjoyable, but I found this, uh, you know, sort of fresh, and uh, it's it's obviously you know in the same mode as uh, uh, Haydn type or uh, Mozart symphony, but it sounds a little bit different, and he has his own sort of a approach to the contrasting elements. And I thought, well, why haven't I heard of this uh, composer before? So uh, yeah, I, I yeah, really especially since this he one. was so yeah, since he was so widely uh, regarded at the end of the eighteenth uh, century. Yeah, it, it's interesting to me because like we talked about Rote, who sort of was ignored, and then recently uh, people have become interested in, in his music, and it seems like this is the opposite case. At the time, he was well regarded, but now nobody pays attention to this music so much anymore. Um, 
That's a shame. Strange, and now, yeah. the thing is, what happened in classical music was um, there was a repertoire, you know, and um, people decided, oh, who were the best composers of the time? Haydn, Mozart, Beethoven. And they really just um, almost would ceremonially perform these, like, the great music of these composers and music that kind of sounded like them and was equally worthy of um, uh, being heard just kind of got brushed aside. Right. Now, I suspect that... Uh, um, now Mozart really liked uh, Ranitsky. He also liked C.P.E. Bach a lot, and uh, Bach you know, C.P.E. Bach's uh, music um, was recently resurrected as yeah, well. Yeah. You know, good thing, so we're hearing really a lot fun. of this other music from the period. It is really fun, and yeah. uh, Ranitsky's music too sounds like uh, there's a lot more to it. I want to say something about the the performances here in a moment, but the music itself I really loved. It's these there are these charming, carefree melodies, very Mozartian. Okay, and Mozart had that too. I suspect Mozart was probably the more harmonically clever. You know, getting back to the tonic and these like with these little tonal slights of hand. Uh, that that was really his genius, and I think that's why we like him so much more today. I think people at the time found his music uh, confusing. If you remember the uh, movie Amadeus, um, the the uh, the uh, what do you call it? The emperor or whatever, whoever it was, um, it you know who complained about Mozart's music. Oh, too many notes. <laughs> You're right, and yeah, you, you know, I think it was complicated for the time. Beethoven's music certainly was oh, very yeah. complicated for its time. People. Well, they liked it, but they didn't understand like works like the Fifth Symphony and the Eroica Third Symphony. Right. You know, when they were first performed, these took time to really. Um, you know, be understood. They were very different. Um, okay, so, um, yeah, okay. I said here about this recording, um, I thought that the uh, the performance was, um, it was solid. Um, it was kind of light. All the melodic lines are really clean, and it's a very cautious performance. It's almost like the, uh, the Czech Chamber Philharmonic wants to, like, just lay this down and get it all right, okay? And I kind of felt like um, it, it, it doesn't lack energy. I mean, they're, they're, yeah. these players are really on their toes. But it, it feels like they're playing, like, you know, not to a metronome, but they're not really, like, you know, mm-hmm. kind of squeezing the tempos at um, um, t- uh, cadences or, like, buildup of tension or anything like that. They're not really they're, – they're playing what's on the page, basically. And that's fine because we don't have other recordings of this. But I feel like uh, there might be more in this music than we um, are hearing on this album. You know, they're not really uh, you know highlighting some of the special qualities. Could they're be really just, just playing it's, it. Yeah, it's not performed mm. enough to uh, have right. expectations and uh, liberties taken with it. Yeah, that's what I think. They just wanted to kind of give a template or something like that. And now, if somebody else records it, they can probably uh, do something else. It's like the menuets, especially like menuets are kind of. There, it's it's an old Baroque dance that got held over into the classical era, and audiences just expected to hear them. So composers put them in their works, and they're kind of they're kind of boxy rhythms. You know, they're very four square sort of like yeah. um, things. And in this case, they're played that way. And I suspect that there's more to them mm. than uh, we're hearing on this on this album. Now, please, menuet and trio form. You know, it generally isn't very interesting. Although Mozart managed to make you know, in his tricksy way, managed to make a lot of them very interesting. But I think um, the interpretation, I, you know, again, I, I don't want to complain about the interpretation. There's no other recording of this. Um, but I feel like um, more could have been drawn out for, from this. Um, yeah. More, they could, these pieces can breathe more in the, in the more steady rhythm sections. Okay. 
And uh, I'd like to hear other recordings of this, but I, I don't want to sound like I'm criticizing this because I think it's a good performance, but uh, I think there's a lot of room for uh, other interpretations to draw more out of this music, and I hope we'll hear some. Actually, they're gonna, this is well, volume one. this is volume one, one so yeah. maybe volume two has more. And this is they're a very reasonably priced recording, too, if you would like to purchase it on physical media or download. So Yeah, on the Bargain um, Naxos label. Yes. Okay. But um, yeah, as something new that uh, added to my knowledge of the classical period, it was a very good experience. And if you yeah. haven't heard of Ronitsky, yeah, it's worth yeah, the a listen. melodies are charming. They're really just they'll yeah. just kind of they'll, they'll bring a little smile because they're just so like yeah. un. They'll just kind of you know kind of what's the word? Oh, man, I'm not finding the word here. Um, uplifting. I don't know. Yeah, they're uplifting, but they're also kind of like catch you by surprise, sort of like, oh, that's pretty clever. You know, it's like a nice, mm. uh, you know, you don't expect the melody to go this way and it does. And it's just really, really charming. Yeah. yeah. Recommended. Okay. All right. Now you had brought up uh, Hans Roth, as we remember a few weeks ago, died young. And uh, his music uh, was not... Um, it was forgotten, really. Um, Mahler absorbed some of it into his symphonies. We can hear some similarities. And uh, we've got another composer like that, too, except this one is Russian. The music of Alexei Stanchinsky. This sounds okay. very Russian, too. You won't mistake that it's uh, Russian music. Oh, yeah. It's very Russian. Um, let me see. Now, Stanchinsky, boy, he really didn't live long at all. He didn't make it to 30. He died at around 28 of... <laughs> he's a, he's another one. We were talking about uh, last week how Sansons like, uh, changed a movement because his mother didn't like the original one. Oh, no. Well, poor Stanchinsky was undone by his mother and uh, her refusal to let him marry the love of his life. Okay. Um, I, have the, a, I was going to say a word, but we, we're not in the explicit category. Oh. So I'm going to hold back my statement. Yeah, he so. apparently was made to not go through with his wedding plans. Years later, he met this woman again, and his mother kind of, again, was kind of leaning on him not to see her. And one night, he decided to cross this uh, freezing cold river to get to her where she was staying. And he had some kind of like a heart failure because of the coldness of the river. And he was found uh, in the river the next day, dead, before he could realize his potential as a composer. This is a um, real Stan Russian tragedy. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> Sounds like something out of a Dostoevsky novel. Yes. It's a you horrible know. story. Usually, though, deaths in Russia involve drunkenness, I think, but uh, not in this case. Although, I, I got to say, that that is a rather Italian death. You know, he died for love. He could be you Italian, know? Too, kind of, yeah. yeah, died for love. Passion. Okay. Russians are very passionate people, though. You know that. The mu um, this music is... Well, this is... Well, you can go on. I'll give you my impressions after. But uh, this was uh, something else very new to me, but uh, I found yeah. it quite interesting. Um, well, I just want to say, first of all, to give a little introduction about Stanchiski, he was highly regarded when he was alive. Um, um, he studied with uh, Taneyev, who was a, a big um, teacher at the time. He was uh, classmates with Scriabin, and he actually sounds quite a bit like Scriabin. Yeah, um, you can also hear, like I noticed... Um, uh, influence of Grieg in yeah. the hands and then um, there's sort of like a uh, some kind of like purity of like simple folk elements like maybe like Mussorgsky or something uh, in the early mm -hmm. 
earlier works. So that's what is interesting about this recording too, because it, it takes you through, even though he lived a short life, he really developed and uh, went into something new uh, towards the end. And um, in, in this recording, you know, you'll start out with his uh, sonata, one of his sonatas, which is, um, you, like you said, uh, Scribbin, and I heard Grieg there too. But when you get to the end of it, he's sort of into something very new uh, that is sort of, you know, almost similar to like a Stravinsky kind of uh, things. And so you, you're sort of saying, whoa, he's, you know, he's gone to a new place. Uh, even in this yeah. one recording, you can hear that. Yeah, he's not, he doesn't quite reach uh, Stravinsky levels of rhythm, but there is a lot of that. There was a lot of, um, I think this comes out of the... Um, you know the the five you know, like Rimsky Korsakov and Mussorgsky and the, those guys. Um, they wanted to make a Russian kind of music, and what that meant was you you generally echo language, and uh, Russian has a lot of its uh, accents on the first syllable of uh, words, and that's kind of part of the reason why Stravinsky's music sounds like it does. It's very percussive. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, by the way, I should mention also one one reason Stanchensky's music uh, isn't known. Well, first of all, he died very young, but he destroyed a lot of his music, and a lot of his um, friends uh, rewrote it, sort of um, recopied it from, I guess what what they had. Mm. And someone after he died, like later, tried to um, um, publish it. Um, <laughs> Uh, let's see. The Soviet Union comes into this actually. Um, his music was edited for publication by his by his teacher Nikolai Zilyaev, and uh, Zilyaev was murdered by the Soviet regime, and his work was banned. And because he uh, worked on Stanchinsky's music, Stanchinsky's music was banned too. Oh. Which it, of course it didn't deserve to be, but it was it was leaning in that kind of um, rhythmically propulsive. Um, yeah kind well, of area towards the end of his life so it might have been considered um you know kind of um so yeah the, you can see when you listen yeah. to this so it starts out with a piano sonata in e flat minor which is you know just very lovely music and the yeah. uh, the nocturne uh in e major is also really nice and um yeah. then the preludes and, and there's nothing sort of um you know, I would say like rule breaking or branching out here. Although the the playing is very emotional, um, mm. by Jablonski, uh, he he yeah. interprets this really well. And then I found like um, what after the preludes, the uh, the very some interesting things. The songs without words uh, is they were lovely. Uh, I liked these really three. Really lovely. Um, yeah. The the uh, number three uh, is it mm. just this really. Um, sort of heart pulling uh, minor melody, and um, after that, there's a piece just called Tears. And yeah, uh, there, that's there really, two, two mazurkas, and then yeah, there's a yeah, this piece called Tears, and then it gets to the uh, sketches, right? And then yeah, this I, want, is, I want to mention the variations because this was my favorite oh, okay, uh, recording yeah. on the album. Uh, he wrote this for a, a, f- a friend of his and um, they're just kind of open and unguarded. And I really liked this work a lot. It kind of reminded me of uh, the reason I got into this composer in the first place was because of a, there was a solo piano recording by the composer Thomas Addis made in the year 2000 and he played a piece by Stanchisky, uh, a canon and it was just 
really stood out. It was so oh. beautiful. Uh, we should hear. By the way, that's an album of. Uh, if you're a, if you're a fan of like unknown piano music, short piano music, that's a great record to hear. The uh, Thomas Addis uh, 20th Century Piano Works album, originally released on EMI, now it's on Warner Classics. Uh, we'll post that. Actually, you should give that a listen and definitely hear the piano. It's not on this album, mm. but um, it's a really beautiful piece. And the uh, variations reminded me a little bit of that. Okay. The, the the harmonics of it, the um, the spacing between the. Yeah. Uh, you know, the notes. I, I really thought this was, was really nice. Give that a listen. Anyway, three sketches. Yeah, with the Getting sketches, a little more. when we got mm. into the sketches, I felt like now he's, you know, he's jumped, he's jumped really into the modern uh, sort of element. Uh, yeah. He sort of abandons that sort of um, traces of real, you know, a romantic era uh, Russian composition. And he's really in a new element here. But, what I found that listening to them, they're, they're very short pieces. Yeah, you know, less the, than in a fact, minute, he seems to have written minute. only uh, like I don't think he wrote any big pieces at all. They're all yeah, um, yeah but, but they're miniatures. What we'd say for the I piano like and these little sketches. They're sort of what I wrote. It just my impression is they're like musical mm. riddles. He, uh, he sort of yeah, that, I was going to say that myself. He introduces something that's you know has some you know various um, harmonic and rhythmic things. And then he sort of dismantles them and rearranges them in different mm. ways to see what possibilities are there. And it, it yeah. sounds sort of mechanical. And sometimes you can see the, that, but th they never get too out there without, you know, still s sticking to some core tonality. And um, inside of them, some of them are really uh, beautiful. The one I, I noted that, after a lot of exploration comes back is the uh, sketch number 12 it's andante epico and uh that one is uh yeah there's there's some real beauty in there even though he's you know using um you know different all kinds of techniques in here with like uh, you know whole tone and uh mm. modal and diatonic things uh, he can still mine uh, a sort of um melodic and uh recognizable harmonic thing that'll pull you in even when he's experimenting with a lot of things. So the, although these are, you know, for the time, very modern type things, they're very easy to listen to and you can find mm. something to catch on to in all of them. And so, yeah, I listened to, you know, a, a few times finding something new each time I went through them. Right. Piano miniatures in general, they're, they're, they're generally, um, riddles is one possibility for them and i think a few of these are riddles sometimes they're just passing thoughts you know something you just want you know maybe mm -hmm. like a throwaway kind of idea that you just put down and it's just because people play it now it sort of gains in them sort of uh weight and importance and i, I really love piano miniatures you really don't know what you're going to get sometimes you get a profound statement in less than yeah. a minute you know there might be one here i these are works now the thing about an album like this which is all miniatures it's a I think it's about a 70-minute album with uh, 32 tracks. Um, if you're hearing this many miniatures, they're they're all very different from each other. And I think this album has to be listened to. Difficult. Yeah. yeah, you need to listen to this in, in segments. I right. think you should just go for, like, say, uh, the Sonata first, and then you can hear the Nocturne and the Three Preludes, and then stop there, and then do the Five Preludes. And, you know, just... Um, it's hard to listen to music like this, like straight through, unless it's just playing in the background. But you're not going to remember any of it. It's kind of it takes a while for it to stick. So I, I would uh, approach this uh, piecemeal to really um, yeah. 
get that. Anyway, Stanchiski, this is um, a composer who I've been interested in ever since hearing that canon on the Thomas Addis record, and I'm just glad to have this. There was another album of his music on the Marco Polo label long ago that d- didn't really capture him well, but uh, Jablonski, Peter Jablonski, you know, a Swedish pianist, uh, it, you know, it seems to be a really sympathetic um, interpreter, and uh, this is a good way to discover Stanchinsky's music. I recommend you hear it. Um, it'll remind you a little bit of Skrabin, and to be, to be honest, a bit of the uh, figuration of uh, Rachmaninoff's um, yeah, yeah. Preludes too, or his shorter piano works, the Etude Tableau, but you know, those are far more involved than these. There's a lot of counterpoint in Stanchinsky and also in those works as well. Anyway, give that a listen, please. Yeah, Stan, I th- you know, even though he, for you. I mean, he brings out the Russianness in those, uh, especially in the uh, Sonata. Um, yeah, he he hits the right uh, emotional. But he gets it. Things. Yeah, yeah, he gets it. Yeah, so it's a great performance. Yeah, the Russianness has to be brought out in Russian music because it's there, but you don't necessarily have to hear it depending on who's playing. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. you know, I think it's important to hear those little. Uh, you know, lean, leaning on those accents and, you know, yeah. kind of really putting that across. And that's about it for classical this week, isn't it? That's right. We're going to jump yeah. over to the jazz idiom. Yeah. All right. And what do we uh, got here? Well, the first one, let's see. <sighs> it's, uh, <laughs> I think we, we alluded to this recording in a previous, uh, podcast i think that was omnipotent organs and Ah. we're focusing on organ music and well i'll be we've got two organ recordings uh this week um but now we uh, need to mention this is the hammond b3 organ which has this really funky sound that i love that's right so So, uh, two more we can't just can't stay away from big bach church organ okay we can't stay away from organs recently but I, I was going to stay away from this for reasons which I will we, disclose. But uh, uh, you, we can't stay away from this. Yeah, so no, because we had to talk because we already talked about it yeah, and we, we, we were saying we. It, so. so we had to mention this. I, I want to say, but we can't seem to stay away from Italians either. There have been a lot of Italians on There's this Italians on this show. I guess they're yeah. just releasing a lot of music. I don't know. That's coming our way at least. So I guess there you go. I'm not going to choose an Italian next week. Okay. We'll have a non-Italian week. I don't know. I don't know if I <laughs> maybe, have any Italian Maybe, week. if I yeah. can. Hey, I was going Danish last week, and, uh, you know, we'll see. Actually, I am choosing an Italian next week, except that he's Swiss, but he's got an Italian. I'm going to make an all-Russian show, because there's some really good Russian jazz players, too. So I, I've got an all-French show coming up, so we'll, we'll do that oui, oui. You know, when that comes up. Coming soon. All right. Anyway, anyway, so where are we starting here? This is "Breathe" on the Verve label, and uh, this Dr. Is, Lonnie Smith. This is well publicized, and it's out there. The Doctor Lonnie Smith. Yes. Um. Yeah, that's the good part of it. The Doctor Lonnie Smith. And, and a very soulful his... jazz album. Now, the thing is, let's let's mention first of all what this is. We have um the middle of this tracks. There there are nine tracks on no, eight tracks on this album uh tracks two through seven are all a live performance recorded in 2017 yes. and uh featuring lonnie smith and uh jonathan kreisberg on guitar jonathan blake on drums it's a trio and tracks one and eight are pieces they're covers 
recorded in the studio in 2018, quite a while ago, actually. Yeah. Um, and they feature um, collabor- a collaboration between Lonnie Smith and uh, Iggy Pop. Unfortunately, yeah. Formerly of the Stooges. Yeah, I don't know how unfortunate <laughs> that is, but we'll get into this. This should be interesting. Well, <laughs> yeah. Can I purchase this album without those tracks I don't know alright but I gotta say the first track is killer now if you don't like Iggy Pop's President that's one thing but yeah, uh, like the playing the, the groove is just fantastic this is yeah. um, the first track is uh, Why Can't We Live Together which was a 1973 hit by uh, Timmy, Timmy Thomas, Thomas. Yeah. yeah it's fan- I actually went back and listened to the original because I was unfamiliar with it now there a lot of um, jazz artists have covered this and um, the original one, Timmy Thomas, I believe it's him playing the organ on that uh, recording as well. And he does a solo on it. And it's good. You know, it, it's funky. Hmm. It's got this funky thing. But uh, when when uh, Lonnie Smith gets this gets to the solo part, he, he really he really wails. It's just fantastic. I love the groove. I love his playing on this. And then there's Iggy Pop. I, I don't think you can say what he's doing is singing. Um, no, I think is, they, I felt like if I didn't know this was Iggy Pop, I would thought they went out and got the janitor or somebody on the street to come in and mumble for a track, you know, just as a lark or something. Uh, well, he, he, he does sound kind of uh, genuinely uh, puzzled about why can't we live together when he sings those words, you know, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> or when he kind of speaks those words in a musical way you know I think really the, the selling point for him being on this is that it's going to get a, another audience I don't feel like he really adds too much to it no. musically but um, then again you know it, it's it, it's not a traditionally uh, beautiful voice but there are lots of there are a few of those in jazz too like you know Louis Armstrong people love him you know and Iggy Pop carries that uh, punk uh, credibility he'll bring a whole new audience to this so I'm guessing that's why he's there but I really wanted to hear. I, I found myself focusing on Lonnie Smith's playing. He was just fantastic throughout this entire track. I don't know. I liked the track, didn't you? You didn't like it at all. I liked it. Um, actually, I, I like this. My, my my idea of this album is uh, it's a great live performance, and yeah. uh, also the recording quality is stellar. Uh, yeah. This sounds really, really good. Um, yeah. And uh, I just don't like what Iggy Pop did here and I thought it would be mm. better without him are uh, there's another vocalist on here well I um, thought maybe he'd actually just sing out like in this kind of raw voice but he didn't he kind of like no. was sort of um, yeah he's also on the final track which is uh, Donovan's uh, Sunshine yeah. Superman and he sort of mumbles at the beginning of that too and that's kind of then it's over uh, yeah. for him and um yeah, I, I don't know. I just I was distracted by Iggy Pop's contributions here. The the rest of the the uh, recording. Yeah, on Sunshine Superman, he sounds a bit sort of half hearted. I yeah. thought. You know, I kind of wanted to go back to the Donovan one. You know, Donovan's words, and he he sings them really well. Now, so um, the the performance I found is is really excellent, and the recording mm-hmm. is good. I just feel um, overall the the material is a bit uneven. So, mm-hmm. the, And the reason why I say that is um, that there's some kind of, you know, it's Lonnie Smith, so you've got kind of a soul jazz approach. Yeah, and, and I uh, really do love that. that. That works really well on, you know, everything that he does, and he plays yeah. it uh, greatly. But then there's some 
let's see, there's a song uh, called Track Nine. It's actually track yeah. four on the album, but it's called the name of the song. The name of the song, song is Track, track Nine. Nine. And then yeah. here we're into something completely different. This is like a dissonant funk horn lines and harmonies. It's completely out of the soul jazz type of thing and it's yeah. done really well and there's an awesome burning fast trumpet solo by uh yeah. sean jones this is great mm -hmm. but it doesn't match the character of the rest of the uh you know the sort of genre that's here um <clears throat> then we've got a a track called world weeps and uh this is sort of a ballad uh with a uh this uh guitarist Jonathan Kreisberg man this guy's really mm. great um and so this this the guitar solo on this track is uh fabulous and uh, Smith's yeah. backing yeah it's it's very uh yeah there was some great playing all over this song. yeah and then we've got a uh well, Smith's famous composition Pilgrimage and the vocalist uh Alicia Olatuja I guess is her name uh mm. and it's sort of this is like very gospely uh smith and then we go into sort of uh there's a this, the, this the is a monk and kenny clark tune epistrophe and um so this is sort of something different so i i felt thematically it, it sort of jumps all over the place it's all over the place it, yeah it's not it, really um it does work because it's the performance is just you know really really spot on the musicianship is great yeah. and the sound quality is good but Th this sort of diversions added with you know sandwich between Iggy Pop and, and I was just sort of like <laughs> this is very strange as a you know a package to me um, yeah I guess uh, I enjoyed yeah. it though I mean I found myself maybe I was just trying to make sense of it all but I found myself listening to this again and again and that's the reason I wanted to do this on the show I was like well you know I keep listening to it we may as well talk about it it's kind of got me somehow um, one of the things I love about Lonnie Smith um you know, above you know most organists, he he's got a really funky foot. Okay, so the yeah. uh, the the organist plays the uh, bass with his foot. There's no bass player in this in this group, and he his kind of his bass lines are they they just they sound really funky. You know, there's 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 a kind of juiciness to them. So uh, I really enjoyed listening to. I really love listening to or the Hammond organ for, partly for that reason. So I just like the. The bass sound. Okay, it's very yeah, it's a different kind of attack. And yeah. Well, how whoever is um, engineering this recording, the organ sounds awesome on this disc. The live organ. Yeah. He's, he's got the full spectrum of the frequency range, and also yeah. the dynamics are captured really well. So it's he's almost, you know, it's yeah. all about the organ in the recording, and that right. it's done really well here. And part of that is Smith's playing because he really plays out. I oh, think yeah. he plays loud, okay, <laughs> loudly. <laughs> yeah, this is good. I mean, the organ playing he, is he great. He wants to hit your soul. <laughs> the uh, guitarist is fabulous. The horn players are awesome. Uh, the uh, the female vocalist is really good. <laughs> it's it's yeah. just a, a little bit sort of all over the map. And then, uh, you know, the Iggy Pop for me, that's just... Uh, it was yeah. really... I was listening to the uh, Jazz United podcast, and they uh, they talked about the Hammond organ on a recent episode. And they mentioned this album, and Iggy Pop came up, and they kind of you know you can see they didn't want to say anything bad about him because they didn't want to get all this hate all this hate mail. We don't have the audience; <laughs> we're not going to get all this hate mail from punk people. But uh, they kind of said, "Yeah, Iggy Pop was yeah he was good," and then they just went on. They didn't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> 
you know, I'm all for interesting collaborations when, oh, me you too. know, there's, especially, look, you can have people from different genres and worlds who come together and sometimes it doesn't work. That's the chance you always take. But, you know, for example, when you have, you know, uh, classical and jazz worlds coming together or, yeah. you know, other type of, uh, you know, like we had, uh, what was the, the one uh, I was talking about, I haven't talked about the podcast, but uh, Yo-Yo Ma playing uh, Appalachian and bluegrass music, right? Yeah. So, I mean, how can Yo-Yo Ma do something, you know, that's going to be too bad? And uh, th those are really interesting recordings, you know, they come together. But <laughs> I just can't really think what Iggy Pop is going to bring to anything <laughs> for me. So, I, I, I yeah. I'm no, I like him on those old Stooges that. recordings when he was, you know, when he was younger. He was kind of, okay. he was, he really wailed. I don't know. Uh, I think the worst jazz collaboration I've ever heard was um, Kenny G with a, an Indian tabla player. <laughs> yeah. That um, really, really was. Uh, I don't think I could say anything about Kenny G that hasn't been already said by other people. So. I think that, I, was, was that, that, a, was, that was just an awful, an awful matchup somehow. I don't know. Yeah. Um, I think I was at a, a clinic with uh, the great... Uh, baritone sax player Nick Brignola uh, who yeah. was from uh, Troy, New York not far from where I grew up and then some kid said hey that's a soprano Kenny G and I remember uh, <laughs> Nick Brignola saying yes uh, Kenny G owns one of these I however play one yeah so um, there's, there's a really nasty uh, video on YouTube too of Pat Metheny uh, mm. talking about Kenny G yeah. check that out if you can find yeah. it it's really, I've seen that. it's yeah. really I don't mean. Like pick on Kenny G or anything. It was, you know, I don't he either. Played, he's got his he career. He's got a million music. dollars. He played pop yeah. music, and that was yeah. uh, it. Uh, so, um, yeah, I think but, he um, set some kind of record for like playing uh, with one breath or something like with that. With one too. nostril. Oh, sorry. Yeah, yeah, I, I, yeah, I don't remember how that worked. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, yeah, "Breathe" by uh, Lenny Smith. Uh, certainly, his playing and the band's playing is great. Uh, it's it worth will, having checking out. Um, it will aid your breathing. And sorry if there's any Iggy Pop fans. I don't think they'll be listening to this podcast, but uh, you can go hear uh, Iggy in his modern vocal glory uh, doodling over these funky organ jams. Yeah, I, I got to say, though, I didn't not like Iggy Pop, but yeah, I all didn't right. feel like he contributed all, right. all that well, much. So I just want to put that in there. I just want to put that in there. Please don't choose any more Iggy Pop for the podcast. Well, then, I don't. Uh, we'll call it square. Well, we're not really calling him. I don't know if he qualifies as adult music, but he's is on an adult music uh, he's, recording he's here. He's senior so. now, here that's we go. for sure. He looks like he, the beef jerky that I had the other day, but um, yeah. <laughs> he's looking. <laughs> Let's just hope he doesn't put out an album of American Songbook or something. He had he had a rough yeah. life, despite his success. Yeah. <laughs> In the drug-addled seventies with David Bowie. Oh wow. Oh, well, speaking of, by the way, speaking of jazz collaborations, the David Bowie one was fantastic, you know, the the one, his last album, but we'll, that's, that's already long gone, anyway. Yeah, we've got to go on to more organ. More organ. And? We yeah. We have more organ. We have an album by Mr. Brian Charette, uh, who, uh, is one of the top organ stars of the day and placed well in the polls of up-and-coming organ players uh, just uh, 
along with Mike Ledon, who I'm waiting yeah, like to Mike release Ledon. something new. Uh, something new, and uh, yeah, he's so that we can right talk in, about it. We're definitely going to talk about that. Yeah, right in that yeah. category, and he's got a new album on the Steeplechase label called Power from the Air, which is a good name for an organ album, I guess. I and, guess, yeah. Um, yeah, so I picked this one because, well, it, more Hammond B3 is always good. But uh, this album has got some really interesting things going on in the woodwind realm. So yeah, yeah. Uh, on this album, we've got, in addition to Charette, we've got uh, Mike DeRubo on alto sax, Kenny Brooks, tenor saxophone, uh, an Israeli flutist, Itai Chris, who plays some really awesome solos on here. And then the other reason I picked it, where do you get bass clarinet on a jazz album? Not too often, but Carol uh, Ruzica on bass clarinet. Yeah, and, uh, I, Brian, what, I love those bass reed instruments, oh, yeah. the way they kind of buzz when they get really yeah. low in the range. Just and love Brian Fischler on drums. And um, so on, on this recording, uh, it's mainly originals by Charette, but there are two covers, uh, including uh, the jazz standard Cherokee, and uh, the other one is uh, Harlem Nocturne, the old, uh, uh, you know, sort of a noir film kind of uh, thing. I think it was, what, Mickey Spillaney's Mike Hammer or something. They used this. But, uh, yeah, Harlem Nocturne, they do a really interesting treatment because they, they play the melody with all of its sort of... Uh, intrigue but then it sort of has a little kind of free jazz interlude after that mm -hmm. well-known harmony to sort of mix things up which is kind of a, a fun uh, treatment to it but uh, the rest of them are these really interesting um, original pieces it starts out with a tune called Fried Birds which I thought was pretty good <laughs> he had a few good titles uh, Fried Birds yeah. and then the next one was uh, what was the next one after that I can't bring this uh, up Fried Birds and uh Let's see what's after fried birds on here. Um, yeah, no, yeah, I didn't bring this up. Track list here. Here um, it is. Okay, here it comes. Okay, elephant memory. Yeah, elephant memories. I like that one. Yeah, too. I just remember that that one two kind yeah. of thing. Silver lining was beautiful too. I really liked yeah, that so a lot. On on fried birds, like right from the beginning, the, it's interesting because you've got the uh, the woodwinds are playing sort of uh, this really kind of hard bop line but behind it uh, Charette is like really in a soul jazz sort of comping style so you've got this nice kind of uh, double element going on uh, hard bop and soul jazz and then a lot of the other um, tracks here uh, the silver lining and another one as if to say if you listen to these I listened to them for you know the first time and I was just like listening to the instrumentation and the solos then i started really focusing on the heads and what was going on here and i thought hold on there's some really out there time signatures and meters going on here mm. and if you try to figure out the subdivisions and the counting in them you're going to get lost really quickly there's a lot <laughs> of complicated stuff going on him so silver lining as if to say uh there's some really interesting uh timing things going on here and so you've got you know the, this combination of his uh, really soulful organ playing, really good footwork with the bass, uh, fabulous arrangements of the woodwind instruments, and, you know, 
adventurous compositions with uh, great improvisation from these players, nice flute playing in that bass clarinet. Yeah, it's, it's a really fun album that uh, it's sort of pushing the sort of organ genre into experimental kind of areas. And uh, I, th I thought it was, uh, it, on, on first listen, you might not be caught by all of it. It's not as catchy as the Lonnie Smith with, you know, the soul grooves. But there's a lot of uh, interesting detail in this recording, and I think it's worth a listen for uh, jazz fans. Yeah, compared to the Lonnie Smith, I heard the Lonnie Smith. Well, I had heard the Lonnie Smith before I heard. I even knew of this one, but I heard. I listened to the Lonnie Smith album after immediately after I listened to this, and this one sounds a lot more uh, buttoned up and neat, you know, as compared to Lonnie Smith. The Lonnie uh. Smith's um, organ playing really kind of oozes and makes the floor sticky, you know, like yeah, after yeah. one of those college parties. Whereas this is very. Uh, it, it feels very precise to me. Even the uh, the organ sound, it's very. Um, mm kind of you know restrained and uh, again good funky bass lines on with the uh the foot there but uh is he french because this sounds very french to me it sounds like they're kind of like really placing the tone you know the, what they're the notes that they're playing as just opposed an, to just uh, playing out american new york uh bass yeah, they get, you think he is okay yeah, I, yeah. I should look him up all right, I don't know, but um, it, it was a very different approach than the line so it was kind of interesting to hear them back to back yeah um yeah, this was very, uh, I don't know, I don't know the the word for this, but you know, it was neat playing, yeah. okay? Yeah. It was very, uh, didn't leave a mess behind. Your mom would uh, walk into the room after this and uh, <laughs> be, happy, be happy, you know? Because <laughs> yeah. they, they replaced everything. They didn't break anything. They replaced everything sort of thing. Yeah, I liked the whole sound of it, though. And it does sound like it's something that would grow um, with repeated listens. Yeah, this guy's yeah. from uh, Connecticut, actually. Yeah, oh, okay. Brian Charette. Okay. Yeah. I just thought what caught me, you know, of course, I was in, well, I wanted to check it out because it's organ, but uh, this sort of uh, full-on woodwind ensemble, uh, yeah. you know, rather than somebody doubling on flute or something else, you know, you've got a, a flute player and a bass clarinet player with, you know, alto and tenor sax. Uh, and then you've got, you know, arrangements for all of those instruments. Uh, you don't get to hear that too often. Uh, so I thought, oh, this is kind of cool. Uh, nice concept. So, hmm. yeah, do check out uh, Brian Shred's Power from the Air. And he's got a lot of other uh, organ releases uh, going back. He's one of the uh, organ specialists that deserves more listening. So uh, check him out on Steeplechase Records. Yeah, he's got rather a unique approach. I rather liked that. Yeah. Okay. And All here right. we go. And our final one for uh, this episode, going to Latin jazz. And mm. well, what can I say? But this is Latin jazz. Yeah. That's the name and of the recording. Yeah. And it is Latin jazz. This but is Latin it's not, jazz. It's not as Latin as other Latin jazz, I felt. Although, it was great. Let's get, get into this. All right. Yeah. So, this is on <laughs> High Note Records. This is Latin jazz. And this is by... Uh, Charlie Sepulveda and the Turnaround. And so, mm. Charlie Sepulveda, I, well, if you haven't heard of him, um, he is uh, New York born and uh, played regularly around uh, New York in the 70s and 80s with his cousin, maybe you've heard of him, uh, jazz pianist Eddie Palmieri. Yeah. And uh, also, he's played with Mongo Santa Maria, De Valentin, Tito Puente, and uh, many others. Uh, although I believe now he resides in Puerto Rico, and uh, I believe he's uh, into uh, 
the academic side, uh, teaching at a university uh, there. But uh, here he is um, with his uh, group, The Turnaround, and a live recording from uh, New York City's uh, Dizzy's Club. Yeah, with a uh, lot of soloists. Yes. um, His Mm. basic group is uh, Charlie Sepulveda on trumpet, Norberto Ortiz, tenor saxophone, Eduardo Zayas on piano, Gabriel Rodriguez on bass, Francisco Arcaya on drums, and Nicholas Kosaboom on congas. Hmm. <coughs> Excuse me, but the special guest here, Randy Brecker. You know, on, on the trumpet. first track, right? Yeah. And uh, his wife, uh, Natalia Mercado, as a vocal. We've got uh, Nestor Torres on flute, the great Steve Torre on trombone, and uh, Miguel Zenon on alto sax. And so yeah. we've got uh, his core ensemble and all these uh, guest players. And um, what happens is a really exciting recording. And so right away yeah. on, on the first track, it starts off and you got a Randy Brecker trumpet solo now. Oh, and it was just really mind blowing. Yeah. It was just fantastic. Yeah. So, what I really love about Randy Brecker is, you know, it, f- for some reason uh, these days, one of the boring things about uh, jazz trumpet players is like everyone has been. All the young players are striving for this really dark sound. Yeah. They're like using these uh, really uh, unlacquered instruments with uh, a sort of, you know. Uh, even the mouthpiece integrated into the instrument and they're getting this really dark sound which i guess was you know cool for a time but uh randy brecker is sort of the antithesis to that he's always had this laser bright sound that just like cuts through everything and so he comes out here with uh, a lot of his interesting intervals and uh great technique and um this sort of laser like solo that's fabulous and then what i thought was really cool about this is you know if if i was going to have randy brecker solo on my album i would play first and then i would have randy brecker play after me you know i, w- <laughs> I wouldn't play after randy brecker right yeah, you want to build Sepul- up the tension yeah sepulveda lets him play first and then he yeah. comes in with his own solo and um yeah. what when i first heard this you know the first thing that caught me so the the tune is called uh, uh liberty yeah, and uh, jazz musicians often uh, will do something called uh, quotation. So they'll they'll play a quote from another melody in another solo, and uh, what he quotes here is uh, the jazz standard: "If I should lose you." Oh, didn't so, identify that. <laughs> um, yeah, but if you think about the tune is "Liberty" and "If I Should Lose You," uh, I mm-hmm. thought that was kind of poignant. Uh, yeah. Uh, in there anyway but I thought that was great and uh, he Sepulveda is a great trumpet player and to you know let Randy Brecker play before you and then to also you know play after him in a great solo is uh, yeah that's something else too so that's really cool uh, and then uh, Steve Touré who's uh, awesome trombonist and also plays the uh, conch shells uh, and, and he writes really interesting arrangements of things he solos here on track three uh, Tales from the Wall and then later on, on another track called Firm Roots. And then uh, we have the old 
uh, tune, uh, Cherry Pink and Apple Blossom White, which yeah. they have a lot of fun of with a fun stop and start. Right. Uh, they start some of the them melody. Are very, some of the pauses are very long. Yeah, <laughs> a really long pregnant pauses. I was um, checking my uh, player to make sure yeah. that the, it was still playing at some um, point. And this tune features uh, some great flute work uh, from Nestor Torres, who also plays uh, guests again on uh, the last tune called uh, Pure Magic. And uh, there's a alto uh, sax player on here, and I was unfamiliar with him, but he's a real beast, uh, Miguel Zenon, and he plays mm. this burning solo on a tune called Frenesi. Uh, yeah, yeah, he can really. Yeah, he's uh, fantastic. I like him too. I like can, his uh, solo albums. Yeah, he as can well. really phrase and uh, rip up a solo there. And then we've got uh, Sepulveda's wife, uh, Natalia Mercado, and she sings a vocal on a tune called, uh, what is it here? Alfonsina Ina El Mar. Yeah, which is a very passionately sung uh, thing. And then uh, he's not a guest, he's in the group, but I'd like to. Uh, point out uh, the piano player here who is uh, Eduardo Zayas and uh, he just does some fine piano work on the whole recording he's got the all the Latin styles uh, uh, down and uh, he adds the intensity and backing between uh, all these other guest players in the main band and so you get a really nice uh, energetic uh Latin jazz album. I think, um, you know, uh, Sepulveda, he, uh, I think he sees his ap approach um, as more rooted in the uh, Puerto Rican jazz styles. Uh, he, he, he says uh, he plays the traditional Latin jazz, which is a mixed with hard bop, but in a Puerto Rican styles like bomba, plena, danza, and um, you know, so I think he he values the original Latin elements in uh, these type of things, uh, but he can do the bop things and uh, other things too. So this recording's got a lot of good energy, and um, these great uh, guest players too. So yeah, it's a lot of fun, and for a live recording, you get that extra energy uh, in the mix there too. Right. When I said it's it's uh, very Latin, and but not as Latin as others, what I meant by that was when I listen to like a like a Latin jazz record with a lot of percussion on it, it feels really dancey to me. Like there's that, uh, that whole dance element to it. Uh, you don't really get that here. This is really about the musicianship, and that's fine with me. And it's yeah. certainly not a criticism. Uh, you're you're listening to the solos here, and uh, I was really drawn by the. The contrast and the Randy Brecker solo that started to really grab my ear right away, so I was in. But then by the time you get to track three, Cherry Pink and Apple Blossom White, you have uh, Nesta Torres uh, soloing, and he gets he's 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 the opposite. If you, I guess you can think of a triangle, there's like the Randy Brecker bright sound, and then there's the dark sound of someone like Ambrose Akinmuseri. But Nesta yeah. Torres is also kind of an opposite to Randy Brecker, whereas he gets that sort of more opaque kind of Mexican mariachi type sound, yeah. you know, where it's very, you know, um, it's very expressive. There's like a wavering in the tone sort of, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's very emotional and it's, it's, I don't know how to describe it. It's not really, it's not a bright sound. It's more of a, 
Yeah, it's opaque, sort of. This is sort of like something over it, like you can't kind of, yeah. you know, hear through it or something like that. Um, so it the, all the contrasts were really interesting. So I guess in a way, you could also say it's more Latin than everything else because we go through the um, the different varieties of uh, Latin jazz on this record. So yeah, there you go. I uh, I like this. I like the contrast a lot. It's it's uh, an album that you listen to though. You could uh, sit down. <laughs> yeah, they're having a lot but it of, is energetic. I mean, it does have a lot, lot of, of fun here too. Yeah, you yeah. can feel that. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, I, he he seems to be very appreciative of uh, Randy Brecker too. Um, yeah. But I would be really shaking in my shoes if I had to play after <laughs> Randy Brecker. So I gotta say that the Randy Brecker, you know, it's the first solo you hear. And uh, grabs you right away, and I thought that was the best solo on the album. To be honest, the, the, the other ones were very good. I mean, there's certainly nothing yeah. wrong with them, but yeah, they kind of, they kind of, yeah. I thought he he really wailed on that solo. Yeah, it was fantastic. Yeah. All right. Yeah, it would have been a good night to be at Dizzy's Club. But. Yeah. Well, I think most nights would be a good night to be at Dizzy's Club and Club and elsewhere. Yeah. Anywhere where yeah. live music. So hopefully the world will open up again and we'll throw off these face diapers and <laughs> just start. What a horrible life image, again. man. Yeah, it's horrible. Yeah. I have a whole bag of them right next to me here. You know, I actually need for, more because now we're going things. back. We know we're, we're all going back to work now and uh, we, you need to you need to be wearing these at work. So, well, I just they, recommend, they kinda, you know, putting. I recommend killing the virus with alcoholic beverages of the adult nature, like with the we're enjoying tonight with the Knob Creek. This is ah um, uh, yes. This is one hundred celebration. One hundred twenty proof, guaranteed to kill all virus and bacterial microbes in your system, yeah. and then killing that bad brain funk with adult music. Nothing is living set. inside my intestinal tract now after this uh, Knob yeah. Creek single barrel. I get. I think for our tenth episode celebration. Incidentally, um, I guess we could call Knob Creek the. Uh, can we? Can we call Knob Creek the official uh, bourbon of uh, adult music? What's what I've been drinking in every episode. So oh, okay, this is only I couldn't tell. I've I've had this before, but I decided the tenth episode we had to uh, drink an adult beverage to celebrate. So I went for the yeah. uh, Knob Creek since Russ was uh, recommending it so highly. I'm more of a cognac brandy man myself, but I do like a nice bourbon. It's my taste of America and a nice and whiskey Japan. as well. Mm. Yeah, but I you know I, I yeah. enjoy all types of beverages from every country. Yeah. I've visited or have tasted, along with music. Yeah, it's one of those things. Uh, I like Russian music. I like Russian vodka. And yeah. when I was there, I, I don't I like, like drinking Czech Russian vodka with Russians, though, because they drink way too much of it. And uh, I did that though, and I had some really good it, stuff when I was in Russia. That was good. was any, was anyone killed? No, no one was killed. Everyone was friendly and and Cause, very because that often happens. Me. I don't know. <laughs> and I, everywhere I've been, I've had. Uh, good music and good, good alcohol and good food. So yeah, I hope to experience those things again in the future. But right now, we can only experience the music and the alcohol, and uh, so we'll focus on that. In it's not a bad life, episodes. really. It's not too bad. It's a great time yeah. to listen to music and uh, there's some great music. stuff coming up. We're, we do. We're uh, keeping up with it for you. We're going to get you. We keep you uh, keep you happy with all that uh, 
Well, new, this new good music coming There's out. There's more on it's, the way. Uh, so, if you've made it to the end of this episode, we thank you for listening. Yes. Thank you. To this episode 10 of Adult Music. And again, uh, we ask you on whatever platform or app you're listening to, uh, please follow or subscribe to us. It'll help us get noticed in the recommended categories. And if you have a moment, please give us a ranking or write a short review for us. That also uh, helps to grow our audience. And uh, we'd love to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, suggestions, uh, contact us by email adult music podcast all one word at gmail.com and uh, we'll be sure to reply to you and we're going to see you again next week in episode 11 with some more interesting new music any final words mike I think I'm okay. I just want to say thank you very much, everybody. I enjoyed every minute of listening this week, and I know I'm going to enjoy every minute of next week because I know I've got three good, uh, well, I don't know. One of them I haven't heard yet, but <laughs> I got some good recordings coming up. I'll let you know mine too soon, hmm. and we'll share them with our listeners next week. So until next week, this has been Episode 10 of Adult Music, the podcast with music for the mature mind, and we'll see you all again next time.